0: everybody, and welcome to This Week in X, presented by Crushing Comics. We think comics are better when they are read together, so we're here together to discuss this week's X-Men comics with each other, and also with you. There's only one X-Men comic out this week, the 23rd of December 2020, and that is Excalibur number 16. So here's your spoiler warning. We're going to talk about every single plot point in this comic, which probably entails us also talking about all of the plot points in Dawn of X up until this point, and probably a lot of the history of the X-Men, and also other events in the Marvel Universe. So this is a thoroughly spoiled set of conversations, and you have been warned. With that out of the way, let's welcome our guests, my co-hosts, Tyler and Freya's designated survivor mutant, Harry. So Tyler, let me ask you, if someone cooked you a romantic holiday breakfast in bed, what would that breakfast
1: be? I have a soft... But for a full English breakfast, what but it, what no consi-
0: What does that consist of? I should know now that I live in a Commonwealth. And country, no but... baked beans. So usually <laughs> it has
1: baked beans, but um, it is eggs, whichever style I want. Um, toast. Um, there is always like um tomatoes, and there is always baked beans. But I don't like baked beans, so that gets thrown out of the way, and um, it has to come. Well, that is not part of the English breakfast, but it has, for me, it has to come with at least one type of French pastry, you know, you know, be it just a simple croissant or a, you know, pain au chocolate. that anything, but, you know, that, 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 that is for me ideal. Hmm. Wow. That's a
0: lot to carry on the traits here about in the morning. Uh, and Harry, when you're part of a, a team that's just working like a well-oiled machine, what, what tends to be your role there on the team? Uh,
2: I'm usually the chatterbox slash comedic relief <laughs> that kind of makes the entire experience hopefully like a little bit more fun. But that said, there's a 30% chance I get kicked out of the group because I'm talking too much. It doesn't happen a lot, but it has happened. So that's my role in life.
0: Excellent. Well, we are going to talk tackle those topics over the course of discussing this Excalibur issue. Our first issue of Excalibur after the close of X of Swords, and we've kind of been waiting to see because Excalibur held a lot of the plot of X of Swords, and this mm-hmm. is the book that in a way bears the most ramifications of X of Swords. So before we start getting into individual plot points, I just wanted to have a go round to Tyler and then to Harry and then I'll go about um what is your kind of lightning round first impression of this issue before we start experiencing it
1: together. Um, overall, I enjoyed the issue. Um, I love that Marcus To is back on the art, and it looks beautiful. Um, this this particular story um, feel, I mean issue, feels a lot more organic in terms of the plot and the interactions between the characters, and it also tied into other titles. Um, and you know, like 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 Peter mentioned earlier, no surprise here. There is a direct link to X uh, of Swords and. Um, then, you know, on the con side, there are two things which I do not quite like in this issue, but we will we can discuss that in details later on in this episode.
0: All right. Harry, what about you?
2: I liked it. Um, this is a book with a lot of stuff happening all the time, which has been kind of a pro and con so far. Uh, I felt this issue was very focused. It's very much about the fallout of uh, what happened in X of Swords, which was uh, kind of nice to have almost every scene be about the absence of one character and kind of like feeling all that out. Um, And yeah, I mean, this this book is slowly growing on me with every issue and uh, I really like this one.
0: For me, it kind of felt like a little bit of a step back. I feel like we really found a great rhythm during X of Swords with Excalibur. And part of it was nothing felt extraneous. Like it was about Betsy, it was a little bit about Jubilee, it was about apocalypse. And that felt like the real plot engine. And mm-hmm. now we're back to dealing with Gambit, Rogue, and Richter. And it just, to me, still feels like they don't have a part in this Excalibur story. They're not magical. Like, we're trying to pretend like Richter's into magic now. And <laughs> Rogue has kind of taken the Thor because she's looking for her friend. But it just really emphasized to me that as good as Teeny Howard is with voices, I still just don't really feel like it's the right cast. Which is a shame, because like Tyler, I love Marcus Toe, and I actually love Teeny Howard. But uh, we'll get into some of the points about why I just feel like this cast doesn't really click as mm-hmm. we continue this discussion. And actually, it's a good point to kind of start out with here is that this is this cast has always been a series of pairs with one odd man out, one kind of third wheel or fifth or seventh wheel as the case may be, right? Because Gambit and Rogue have each other. Jubilee looks after Shogo. Um, Richter, who usually is the Shatterstar, has been paired with Apocalypse as his kind of like uh, mentor-mentee relationship. And then we have kind of Betsy, all by herself. And what? And really, she's with Britain, right? She's with the magic. She's the team leader. But in the absence of Betsy, because if you didn't read X of Swords, she was shattered in the first tournament fight in X of Swords. And even though the rest of the Captain Britain core was regenerated, Betsy seemingly was not. There's no one person that's like the one person that misses her, right? She's got Brian who misses her as her brother, but he's married to Megan. Uh, Rogue misses her as a friend, but she's got Gambit. And it creates... That's kind of what creates the tension in this issue for me. Uh, mm. And it kind of results in them going to Blob, which feels like Teeny Howard just going down the list of like, <laughs> who could they talk to about Betsy that we haven't seen? Oh, let's talk to Blob. Uh, I don't know. Is, is it just me that really realizes here in, in this issue that Betsy has been the odd one out this whole time?
1: Um, I mean, in some ways it is, but, you know, without the Braddock um, connection, you can't really call this title Excalibur. True. Uh, that's, she, that's she's point.
0: there to be paired with the title. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. And, you know, the, the link to um, Otherworld, Avalon, um, I do agree that, like, um, who will miss um, Betsy? I I mean, in some ways, I feel like Douglas would, too.
0: Because, that's a good cut.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I
2: feel like Uh, yeah, it's gone. Sorry, no, no, no. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I feel like they all miss Betsy. That's kind of the point of the issue, where everybody (laughs) is kind of responding to the loss. That's kind of like you're asking me who's who's missing her. It seems like the entire issue is about them all reacting to to the absence in the team, which is uh, kind of the reason I liked it because it felt a little bit more singular about Mm. her, even though she's not really in it until you know later on.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I guess that was what it was at surface level for me. And as I tried to dig in more, it was kind of like I realized that it felt like Teenie Howard was deliberately breaking Rogue's attention away from mm-hmm. Gambit stuff and also being angry at Apocalypse, which is still here, to like make Rogue the one who is focused on Betsy, which I think also works because Rogue has a history with Betsy. They were on the team together before and into the Outback era. They yeah. were And they've been in many iterations of the team together. But I kind of was just reflecting on... This is kind of like my eternal problem with this cast is like I don't know if they fit around as much. They tend to kind of just pair off and do their thing. And now you're like kind of asking me to like believe that Richter is there for a reason without apocalypse, or and he doesn't even mention Shatterstar, and X Factor yeah. doesn't mention Shatterstar to him when they go and visit. Why? The, why? <laughs> they, was, they just saw Shatterstar. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess I, mean, I was just it, reflecting on it that way. Like, not that the book is, like, that nobody cares about Betsy, but it kind of just exposes how paired off a lot of these people are from a plot perspective to yeah, me.
2: I feel like this is one of the few issues where they did all seem to kind of click as oh. a team. This is the one where I was like, oh, okay. I mean, even, they do have that, like, that big moment where uh, X-Factor's like, yes, like, Excalibur is the, uh, the magic team. They, but they felt more established and more cohesive. Like, I, I agree with what you're saying, like, as a whole through the book... But this is the one issue where I felt like it was kind of congealing in a way, uh, which was refreshing.
1: Tyler? I mean, I agree with like both of you to a certain extent. I'm, I'm kind of not in, in, in the middle. Um, you know, I, I like that the team is working together and being, you know, having having had um, some adventure with Betsy, um, they kind of is the de facto team to go search for her. Um, But I also agree with Peter that um, the initial conception of this team, the way that they're being brought together, wasn't as organic as, you know, it could be. Because, you know, um, like, I think Jubilee basically just stumbled upon the (laughs) team. And and then Apocalypse just dragged her through. And then, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, and... So 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 in that way I I felt I, I, I agree with Peter that you know the team um, doesn't have really um, a reason to be around, to be called Excalibur, um, except you know for the fact that um, since since the beginning of Docs they have been together. So um, I also do not buy the relationship between Apocalypse and Richter because I don't about. think I don't think that has been established enough. Um, it seems like there's one throwaway line, uh, in Creations between Beast and Archangel, um, that, you know, that that I remember really clearly because they were comparing Rockslide and uh, Summoner and Apocalypse and Richter, um, and then before that, I know that they have been a little bit of mentioned here and there, you know how um. Apocalypse has been teaching Richter certain things, but it still felt. I mean it still felt pretty odd to me. You know, I really was thinking about
0: that as I was reading, and I kind of went back to Excalibur number wasn't number one, it was two or three, where like Richter's mm-hmm. super depressed, and Apocalypse is like, why are you depressed when you have a connection to this earth that yeah. kind of matters? And I think that if anything, maybe the title has undersold that aspect of Richter a little bit. Like I, I, I do believe that the intent is that his connection to Apocalypse is that Apocalypse has kind of like given him meaning at a time that he's really felt directionless. And Mm. I think that tracks here in this issue with his kind of like we, we we need to use this book and his whole thing with Gambit of like why would apocalypse g- go and uh, and Gambit's like apocalypse didn't just go he, he voluntarily left us <laughs> um, yeah, kind and, of failed. And so that's kind of interesting but it really I had to really take a step back and like flip through digitally some some past issues to remind myself of that. I think mm-hmm. we're kind of playing it a little bit subtle. I yeah. I could have used I could have used a restatement of purpose here from Richter, even though he's clearly missing Apocalypse, but I felt mm-hmm. like we were like missing a little bit of the the like why.
1: Yeah. And and also I, I don't know how how you know him using his powers on Krakoa is going to help him reach uh, <laughs> Apocalypse. So, you know, like that connection I'm also missing a little bit. Even though he has the book open in front of him, like, is he casting a spell to try and reach Apocalypse, or is he trying to use his connection to Earth, which is not correct here, because Earth, technically here, in in, in this issue, is Krakoa, which is a mutant, and not... Uh, a mutant island, and not really, you know, Earth, Earth. So so that's the part which I, I sort of, like, got really, really... um. I mean there's a big question mark when I read, when I went through that that small um that few pages.
2: Yeah, I mean I did the same thing that you did Peter where I kind of read through a few of the earlier issues just to get my bearings after uh, the crossover and I I was really into the apocalypse and Richter stuff but I do agree that like it does feel a little under underserved a little a little subtle as you said. It's almost like just this book's juggling so much stuff that sometimes things get lost in the shuffle and I wonder if that's mm-hmm. happened with uh that kind of development a little bit. So when you get to this issue and it's like, man, he's really torn up that apocalypse is gone much more so than anybody else. It's like, you have to like, like did a scene happen that I can't remember or whatever, but you kind of have to take it or leave it, I guess. Well,
0: and also, so I want to drive a little bit through that point to something Harry mentioned a moment ago, which is, are they the magical experts now? Like there's this handoff, they have this great scene with, Uh, the X-Factor team, which I think acknowledges a lot of little brilliant touches of continuity inside of it. And Rogue is like, y'all are not taking this seriously, and Storm's off, and Rachel says, it's not that we didn't take it seriously, it's that our capacity has ended, and kind of your capacity has begun. And then we get what usually is the cool, the squad moment, right? They're all walking out, and they're like, we're the ones who know <laughs> about magic. And I'm looking at this page, and I'm like, Rogue, Gambit, Jubilee, and Richter know about magic? Now, granted, they go and get Megan, because they realize, actually, they need a little bit more of a connection. But... um I think even with a reread I'm just not sold that these four are the are the experts on magic. Basically if Rogue who got briefly like turned into a tree or something I still am unclear. Gambit who's just Gambit. Richter who's carrying this book around and Jubilee whose kid turned into a dragon. Like that's their experience. It feels like they're really padding up their resume to saying that th- <laughs> these are the X-Men. Like if they really are like having a magical thing to solve like where's magic? Where is Amanda Sefton? And I hate to be this I'm not trying to be the like critiquing the plot asshole where I'm like you should have brought in these other characters teeny howard i'm just saying that like i don't know if i even buy the characters themselves saying we're the experts in magic now like i don't i don't know that i believe that they've been around magic i don't know if they're exposure on a resume (laughs) you do exposure to magic
2: free exposure to magic yeah but uh yeah no they aren't aren't really like (laughs) adept in the arts or what have you i kind of i kind of buy richter's thing a little bit more than than the both of y'all, I feel. I think he's the one where, like, I think he gets the pass a little bit. Um, but yeah, the other three, I'm just like, it's fun that you guys are wearing the the magic clothes. But
1: uh, I think you need a little <laughs> bit more than that. <laughs> yeah. No, but, but I mean, yes, Richter is now a druid, but you know, like in 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 Excalibur so far, he basically just. Oh, I couldn't sleep, so he wakes up, and he walks, and he stumbled upon people who, who would tell him what to do. So, so I don't know how skilled he is, like, you know, from magic. He, he basically said, I can't sleep. Walked outside, discovered something exposition and then he's like oh okay now i know what to do <laughs> maybe
2: Kra- krakoa has no magic experts whatsoever and this truly
1: is the a team <laughs> that's figuring this stuff out <laughs> no, i mean i do buy that they are the team to go into other world right now maybe because they have been there before um, and they have been there like for a, quite a long time in you know since docs you know, most of it has happened in over there and jubilee do have a connection with the um the sorceress of the green the green sorcerers. yeah so so maybe that kind of helped a little bit um I, I mean i to be honest i didn't really think too much about that i'm like okay it's scalable? i mean they have they have to be the one to go find betsy and you know and yeah and well i mean talking about x factor here right um, did any of you notice that there was a new member? Sure did. Who was the new member?
2: It was uh, Aurora, was it not?
0: Yeah. Oh, that yeah. she's like permanently sitting yeah, in. Yeah, she them had now. a costume. Well, she and everything. has the costume
2: and yeah. everything. Yeah. <laughs> it looked good too. Yeah. they had cool costumes. Yeah, I like that. Was actually part I really liked, where like they are bringing in the the newer books and what have you and stuff with Sinister and X Factor into this book, and it didn't feel too out of place at all meshed very well and i'm glad that like the more recent titles are starting to get play in the other series
1: yeah i mean this is this part is one of the things that i did not quite like um and it has to do with rogue i mean teeny generally has you know like like peter said has a very good handle on characters voices But over here, I feel like Rogue is written kind of like tremendous, Uncanny Avengers Rogue, which is like, uh, capital, you know, all caps, B-A-D, BAD. So So upset. So I really don't (laughs) like it. And, you know, I mean, luckily, it only lasted a little bit. Um, So, you know, for me, it was like, when it came to that point, I was like, oh, why is Rogue acting like that? You know, it's like, it... uh,
2: she compared them to some back, some backwater human police department which i'm like that is a specific and i think uncalled for burn i don't know <laughs> why you're coming to the table so mad but well, uh look, yeah.
0: i i i actually noticed rogue's voice but i had a really different reaction than tyler mm-hmm. did so to me you know rogue is general i know dazzler's behind me but if i had like a top three it's like dazzler gene and rogue and i have a rogue that's been somewhere i don't know where she is but she's usually somewhere. by my desk yeah <laughs> and uh For me, Rogue has gone through this really interesting journey where she's kind of on the outs after the extreme X-Men period, even though she was back in the team, but she didn't really have a place. And starting with Mike Carey's supernovas and then through Mike Carey's X-Men legacy, Mm -hmm. Rogue kind of really comes into her own that she can make decisions and be in charge. She doesn't have to be led by doubt. All the time and there's a lot of moments in that run where like cyclops is like no rogue you were wrong and at first rogue is kind of like oh i guess so scott and by the end rogue starts pushing back and she's like no i wasn't wrong and i that to me was like the peak of where i needed rogue's character to go to which is that she didn't Mm -hmm. always need other people to tell her if she was correct or not like she could decide on for herself not saying that she needed to be right all the time and I think here, something I really like about it is this is a rogue who has already decided on an action, right? She is like, we are going to get to the bottom of the Psylocke thing, and I've decided that because if Psylocke isn't here, or Betsy, I should say, and Apocalypse isn't here, that that means I'm in charge. And to me, it kind of is, it's subtly different than the Rogue that Remender was writing in Uncanny Avengers, which was a very, like, early version of Rogue. It was like Rogue as Wolverine, right? Rogue, when she first joined the team and she could do, she didn't do anything right, and she was always aggressive. To me, that Rogue was a very, like, Uncanny X-Men 171 Rogue. Yeah,
1: it was more like a teenage angst. Yeah. You know, he's like uh, all she and,
2: wanted and, to do was punch Scarlet Witch. That was like her yeah. entire deal. That entire story was, "I hate you," and that's all about. Well, in this yeah. And, to and, be and not there, to de- now
0: the entire island of Krikoa just wants to punch the Scarlet Witch. She was ahead of her time.
1: I mean, and, and, and not to derail it too much, I mean, she was like, she went into Avengers Mansion and she took down all the pictures of Avengers <laughs> and put up all the pictures of X Men. I'm like, what the? Oh, that's, that's such
0: a. I mean, let's move. just say so she is <laughs> yeah. petty. We Cons- <laughs> yeah. have the consistency <laughs> of our pettiness to recognize here. Yeah. And also, I mean, another great rogue book was that the Uncanny adventure, uh, Avengers continued into all new. All different with Duggan, and again, Rogue was like portrayed as this just like headstrong character. She wasn't always the leader, but she was somebody mm-hmm. who had a plan. So it's interesting how Tyler yeah. and I, I, I don't think either of us are right. I think we're just like seeing two sides of this coin where it's fun yeah. to see Rogue be in charge, but because of what we've seen in the past, it's really easy to go over that line and turn her yeah. into like pushy, angsty, mean kind of Rogue. <laughs> um, and, and it's a delicate balance. I personally think H- Tini Howard is. Still treading that line pretty comfortably. Mm-hmm. Tyler seems to think she's tottering a little bit. We'll a little have to bit. Let's see how that develops. Yeah,
1: yeah. But I quickly, I mean, it, that scene ended pretty, pretty fast, and you know, and she's back to like you know the rogue that I kind of think should be the rogue now. So you know, given the journey she took, um, you know, especially under Mike Carey's uh, uh, pens. So. Yeah.
0: Well, and also let's not forget what's happened with her in the past couple of years with Kelly Thompson, where her mm. power is a little bit out of control again, but she almost has, like, faith that it's going to work and or that they're going to get to the bottom of it in a different way than when her powers didn't used to work and it became very, like, woe is me because she has Gambit, which yeah. is, which, I, whether you like it or not, is a facet of her character now that she's willing to relinquish some of that control that she used to have all the time because she trusts Gambit to have part of that control too, which I think now is permanently a part of her character
1: until they're broken up. You know, yeah. So while- what about Betsy and Rachel's friendship? I mean, I'm not very clear on that point because the only time I can remember them to, in I mean, on the same team is the brand new like all female X Men team. Um, you know, Peter, do you have? any more insights on that?
0: I was trying to think if they briefly intersected when Claremont came back um, pre-House of M in New Age because there was a big Rachel plot and there was a big Psylocke plot but I don't... I can't remember if they crossed over, but the way that it, my fan brain worked was like Rachel's pretty much family with Brian, like she, you know, mm. and and Silic is Brian's sister, so even if she doesn't like personally have a deep deep relationship with, with Betsy, she has a deep relationship with Brian, and she on Brian's behalf would take it seriously. That that was me fan mm. my way through that. Um, <laughs> but while we're talking about this craft level, let's talk a little bit about the artwork here from Marcus Toe on uh, line art and Eric Arseniga on color art i i mean i love marcus toe i think he's so clean you know we we go on and on rhapsodizing about you know lara's and 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 um Joshua Kassara but Toe is something different to me because it's just all so beautifully clean it's not heavily lined he really lets the um the shapes of the characters and the gesture work of the characters kind of do the work and he does some good facial acting too and I think that this just reminded me of like I, I just love him on this book and how clean the artwork is.
1: Yeah, I mean, it re- sometimes it remind reminded me a little bit. I mean, it veiled a little bit too much to the cartoony side, mm. especially with how the faces are a little bit squish this way. So, um, but I mean, I got used to his art like really fast. Like the first issue of Escalable, I was like, mm, I'm not hundred percent sure. And then later on, you know, when as he got used to drawing th- these characters, um, I I really enjoyed it, um, and the colors in this book have always been really bright and saturated. I mean, is it me or is that the case here? I think that
0: contributes to the... It it feels like it's very 1990s throwback-y X-Men and like that's maybe... Part of why Gambit and Rogue are here is it's like X-Men for people who loved X-Men animated series and like Jim Lee, you know, era. And I think that it has the most pushed colors of everything. And I think it's deliberate. I don't think you just get er- Eric Arsenio on a title and he just does these colors. I mm-hmm. think it's meant to very deliberately evoke a very specific period of of, of Blue Team X-Men. Mm-hmm. And that's why it looks like it does. And that's why they have these kind of like bold you know, declarative artists like Toe to just make it have this very kind of cartoon animated feel to it. I put Toe in the same group as like, um, Perry Perez, who's drawing Spider-Woman right now, who's mm-hmm. done some X-Men, and also maybe also Oscar Balduza, who did Mr. Ooh. and Mrs. X with Kelly Thompson. Yeah. He kind of mm-hmm. draws those like little kid faces a little bit. But again, he <laughs> does those really plain, clear faces. He doesn't put a lot of lines, especially on women's yep. faces. And he lets the color work do it. And I think that they, to me, that's like Team Rogue now. Like, I'm like, OK, well, if you're going to draw Rogue, you better be Marcus Toe, Perry Perez, or like <laughs> Oscar Balduza, Because I feel like they've kind of redefined how I mm. expect her to look.
2: Yeah, it's just really, really solid, and the colors I think make otherworld just seem really special and vibrant. And it's just oh, yeah, it tells it yeah like even when you know there's for me there's things happening that I don't totally have a grip on, which I think is an issue with this book. Like the art can just carry you home because it just looks so nice and and solid is not in a, like a backhanded compliment way. I think it's just it really is just great storytelling.
0: Yeah, and I feel the same about clean. I don't mean clean to be like not detailed enough I just I think there's such an, a visual impact let's go back to the story now yeah. where they get to other world they come through the gate in that big team shot and then we get the reverse of that team shot which is the throne and just like the boldness of yeah. the color work and the clarity of the figure work there of Jamie and Captain Avalon and, and Megan Gloriana with uh, Maggie on the stairs It's it's like great composition you know almost as if they're like posing for like a painting of this royal family <laughs> yeah. to be painted and it also just gives a really great visual cue of like other worlds, even more saturated and especially an Avalon red just carries through everything in a way that it doesn't on Krakoa. Usually
2: he draws uh, Brian's new costume really well. Like it just looks, it's like regal and kind of strong without coming off like an action figure. Like if you you didn't have the dialogue in this page, you could understand like all these characters, situations and kind of like emotional states just from looking at it. Which I think and is did cool. you
0: also notice the um, motif carried through all four of what they're wearing that they all have this like banded armor straps. look it's on Brian yeah. Megan's got it in the bodice yeah. of her dress the little girl has it in the center of her dress and then Jamie has it in, in his belt which is which yeah. I didn't actually notice until like read number three and I was like oh that's so good it's part of what gives that
1: spread so much yeah. punch
0: is that they actually have things to tie them into each other. Well
1: it's the same with Excalibur right he gave them like straps horizontal leather, leather stripes across the costume. Well, that's just their so. medieval
2: LARPing costumes.
0: Yeah, that's just <laughs> that's just how they LARP.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they worked hard on this. So you gotta respect the <laughs> consistency.
0: I do kind of like it the most on Jubilee because I think her like orange trench coat at this point has we've just seen it so many times oh. and it's visually yeah. similar to Gambit. Yeah. And so Jubilee now kind of gets that high collar and the crosses to hold it together whereas Gambit, if you look at his, it almost... It's like a tunic over a coat or a coat over because it. it's got yeah. layers. It's not one yeah. big trench coat. So it's like, again, part of his LARPing getting into character <laughs> is now he's got this many layered thing and he's not just in a strap. Rogue, of course, basically is like, I'm just wearing my leather jacket and just puts the straps across the center. No real change for Rogue.
2: I think Richter looks good. I like just how hard he's going into the druid thing, where it's just yeah. so he's got the face paint, he's got the hood. It just it really just shows that he's in a completely different headspace. If you want to buy into that, which it seems like yeah. I have more so, but it's and cool. he got
1: flowers on yeah. the hoodie too. Oh, a, little, a little nod. <laughs> well, these guys why,
0: have you know, got, Oh, go ahead, hurry. I
2: was gonna say these guys have gotten a little crazy since they've come to other world. <laughs> they yeah. really like lived it up.
0: Well, I mean, to me, this is the, the fun of talking about it together, because just because Richter's not hitting for me, it doesn't mean that it doesn't hit, period. I think if all three of us got together and was like, no, it doesn't hit, it's then we <laughs> need to call up Freya and get her opinion. Yeah. Uh, but I think that that's part of the fun of doing it in a in a go-round. But something mm-hmm. that all three of us have enjoyed all through this point is Jamie Braddock. And his relationship with Mr. Sinister. <laughs> so throughout the scene, what we all thought was just a visual gag in yeah. X of Swords, which is the plumage cape, he's yeah. first he's got it discarded on the chair, then he's picking it up and he's kind of fluffing it like as if you had laid, laid a blazer <laughs> down and you're trying kind to of like shake <laughs> it back into shape. And then he puts it on, and then we get this great silhouetted shot of him going through the gate, the gate. you know resplendent in his plumage only to find that indeed it's an actual plot point and he's using it as a bartering chip with sinister which i just think is wild like who would have thought that our favorite joke from (laughs) x of swords was actually going to turn into a plot point here it's kind of
2: quietly (laughs) brilliant just how nice it is to have that Mm. kind of like gag and just kind of like joyful thing like just factor back into the story later it's really cool
1: yeah, it cracks me up because, like, <laughs> you know, the first thing that you saw of Jamie right here is, like, he's using the cape as a seat cushion on his throne. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, like, draped there. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the other thing was, like, oh, th- I, it could be, like, Tinny and, 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 and Toe's, like, okay, I, 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 I really love the cape but I'm tired of drawing it. I'm tired of putting it. Let's give it back yeah. to Sinister and then be done with it. <laughs> well,
0: also, I think something... Tyler, did you point this out? Jamie is not wearing the same thing no. when he gets to Bar Sinister yeah. that he was wearing when he left Avalon, yeah. is he? Hmm. Yeah. So
1: there's, there's, there's one part of me who's like, okay, is it because he the he, he was the regent of uh, Avalon we're, and that's why when he's there, he automatically is, is you know, garbed in, like, um dress armor. And then the moment he steps through to Krakoa, everything disappears, and he's in his normal clothing, which is basically just something wrapped around him. Or
2: he took off his shirt to go see Sinister, which yeah. is another option we can ponder for a bit. I think that's equally likely, I think, could yeah. go either
0: way. <laughs> It's, I mean, no, it seems he really deliberate. Not. Like, it's the same artist who's, no who's sure. drawing all the stuff. So it's a choice, yeah. right? Like, w- whatever it was, Toe and Howard know the secret. Why, yeah. he, why is he in a toga? And Sinister <laughs> even comments on it, like, drawing your attention to it, if you had not noticed already. I know. Something's that's up. The... <laughs> Something's up with Jamie and yeah. <laughs> Sinister says, why, that's an awfully slinky little
1: number to wear into this bar. <laughs> like... <laughs> he just wants to impress uh. him. I mean, I, uh, but the other thing also is that he kept his crown well, everything yes. else is gone Obviously, he kept, he kept his crown. he's <laughs> gonna keep the crown it's come
2: on <laughs> i just love these two talking because they're both just like such like scheming like like stinkers it's just yeah. fun like watching them like kind of respect each other on some level because they're both just being kind of conniving people but it's like yeah it's kind of fun you know
0: But let's talk about about that for a second, because Jamie has the power to manipulate reality and theoretically do whatever the hell he feels like. He Mm -hmm. has pulled on the strings of reality to bring Betsy back before, in the end of that Chris Claremont New Age run we were talking about previously. And as we've seen in this run to point, he's actually created a splinter reality um, that had a bunch of copies of this team in it already. So yeah. what what do we make of him going to Sinister for a copy of Betsy's body when by all accounts he just the body copying part he could do himself, right? He's not the full yeah. five, but he can at least do that much. Why does he go to Sinister?
1: I don't know. I mean, part of it has to do with the fact that I think Session 9 is like basically tell him don't muck with the dimensions. Mm, so this is my domain now. So much, yeah. yeah. And then he's like, "Oh, I, I did not create her. Yeah. She just appears one day." <laughs> this is a homegrown version of that I didn't do my powers <laughs> at all, have, you know. I
2: didn't do anything. <laughs> I don't anything. know what's going on, but she's here. So yeah, yeah, I mean, that's. I just figured it was like you don't want to just go pat uh, break the rules that Saturnine put into place, you know, an issue or two ago.
0: But I also can't help but think about that. You know, I does anybody else realize to the extent? That Sinister is in league with Quanon right now and like <laughs> of all of the people to go to to be like get me a body for Betsy you're going to the person whose team is led by the person she body switched with for, for years and years like it, yeah. it it's just it's an interesting detail you it know
2: is. to me well I mean did you see the, I, the cover the got announced today uh, for the upcoming issue of Excalibur I shouldn't say anything but it seems like that mm-hmm. might play in later
1: oh know. okay yeah. folks okay I did solicits. not see that yeah I do, yeah. I do, I do not <laughs> yeah I mean I, I keep away from Twitter until we recorded this um, uh, the the current episode so that you know my views are not. Like colored or influenced by anyone else.
2: <laughs> I have an internet yeah. problem. I'm not that strong, but I'm proud of you,
1: Tal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, look, we wind up here in the fields of otherworld with the team having adopted Megan as. Wait, the wait. Fifth. Before that.
1: Oh, sure. I I just wanted to point out. Every, one, everybody jumped. One jumped pet peeve. One pet peeve of mine is this, like, um, super adult child character oh yeah I was Let's like, Ugh, talk uh, about no, it i'm glad we're both no, on no, that
2: because no. i was oh. reading the book and we get to brian's family like oh there's his wife there's his daughter and then the daughter starts talking like an eloquent like professor and i'm yeah. like huh <laughs> like i was like brian has a much weirder situation that i knew and then i, I don't know where the talking baby came from but i know and he comes off very obnoxious rather than cute
1: <laughs> you know it's like
2: i don't know if why? it was obnoxious to me i was just so more baffled like you know i usually can (laughs) roll with things pretty well but i'm like i don't know where the talking baby came from like what's up with this well (laughs) so here's
0: so here's a couple of thoughts on that uh, from a couple different directions one is um this baby in in pure real world us time is younger than jubilee's baby sogo is circa 2013 this baby is circa Tyler, I think it was an annual in 2018 when Megan finally has the baby. It's the X-Men gold annual, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was really, really? brief. I mean it's I, I really recent. don't remember oh. it's very recent yes. yeah oh. so,
0: so that's one so it's kind of just funny to me that like all like not only is this not only is she talking but she's just bigger than Shogo <laughs> but um so then two though is that like we have to remember that Megan is part Faye and that that yeah. might have to do with how quickly the the baby ages yes. I will yeah. have to do our Captain Britain epic X-Men reread to, to get all the details on that and then number three though is that it just feels too close to Valeria Richards who mm. I love Love from Fantastic Four, who was always this yeah. like three, four-year-old who was like a mechanical genius and an engineer and could argue with Reed and you know could get Dr. June's attention. She was a great character, and then Dan Slott ruined her, and now she's just another character. But um, it feels very much like it's not differentiated from that at all. Like she's the mm. same size, she's also blonde, she's talking in the same way. I actually did a double take of like, is this Valeria Richards? Am <laughs> I confused? Like, what happened? Uh, I just you gotta take it in a slightly different direction. Like it just feels like a carbon copy to me.
2: Yeah. I reread the original. I read the first few issues of the series, and like the the uh-huh. kid is there, but it, it, she has like two sentences that are very basic, and I was like, "Oh, it's yeah. like a, a four or five year old that's been drawn younger." And then they come to here, and it's like you know, like Boss Baby, super eloquent <laughs> and what have you. And I, I just thought, yeah, it was very honestly, it was very disorienting. I don't know why I got hung it up is. on that, but I was just like, well, "What is going
1: on here?" Maybe yeah. it's supposed to. Maybe maybe the transformation but- of of maggie yeah in avalon you know i mean it's, it's it's like shogo became a dragon and she became this right because they do say like why didn't you turn into a dragon yeah. Like, yeah. yeah yeah
2: that's fair but i feel like there's a difference between like laying seeds for later and just things that aren't expressed super well you know and this is more the latter yeah. but you know. yeah i mean uh. given
1: given the fact that i hate characters like that i do like maggie shuts down jamie She's like, you know, Jamie was like, "Well, I could have done that and 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 Maggie's like, "No, you're not supposed to do it, and don't do it." Yeah. So that was pretty funny, but um, but still not nah, not funny enough for me to accept her
0: <laughs> well, at the end here we wind up in a field and mm-hmm. we get a little bit of mutant magic. you know, Richter's like, we've got Megan to act as a sort of magical bloodhound. But it's not enough, and by our powers combined, which Jubilee even makes the joke, that they can be something more. But there's something different, too. It's like a different chemical reaction, right? They don't have Mm -hmm. Betsy this time. They don't have Apocalypse, but they do have Megan, and they have all their other powers. And so they're another form of mutant machinery, even though it's magic. To me, the magic spell itself is less interesting than the fact that this mutant machine motif Seems to be really present here so far in Reign of X, even with just a handful of issues to our name so far. Did you feel that
2: third machine? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I wonder if it's. I I, you have to imagine it's building to something. Like at this point, there's been three separate books that are touching on it, so Mm -hmm. I had to. I I would imagine this is going somewhere rather than just uh, the same themes being explored. No,
1: I mean definitely right because we see a similar. data page in Huxbox, you know mm. talking about um machines talking about um different le- um, levels of society yeah and you know this is all like synergy everything working together so i th- i mean it is going somewhere for sure and this, to me it'd this be is really interesting new. if
0: we wind up with like almost every team is a machine is almost, a machine? or like every yeah. book has a machine, and then we start exploring. Like that to me is really interesting because now we've got Sword X-Factor, even though it hasn't been explicit, certainly is a machine. Yeah. And plus oh, X-Factor yeah. also has the Five, mm-hmm. who's another machine. It's, I'm definitely going to be keeping yeah. a close eye on these other books to see if this emerges in books like X-Force to mm-hmm. come to, to the Four Hellions as well. Not a whole... I don't have a well, whole I mean, lot of to, to say about that because I feel you... like we talked about Richter and Magic already.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is not new too, right? This point, yeah. because if you go back to, to like Excalibur issue five, one of the data page, in you know at the end there, like Apocalypse did says that the X gene has inherently, um, well, I don't know what that word is, like uh, alignment for higher power formation. So this whole this whole um mutant machine thing has been seeded. So it's, it's, it's sort of like we have to pay attention. We have to go back and take a look and see where these things have been seeded and how it's going to play out, which um, I think is probably one of the more interesting things um, to have come out since um, X of Swords.
0: Well, we end on a shocker, you know, they do this spell theoretically to summon Betsy. Instead, they summon the Captain Britain Corps, who are like, we're with you. We think we should find your Betsy too. But then, surprisingly to me, because I didn't think it was going to happen so soon, we do find what seems to be our Betsy, and she's the queen of England, and she's got <laughs> Warren as Angel bringing her morning tea in bed to kind of mirror the first scene with Gambit and Rogue yeah. enjoying, you know, their their vacation breakfast. I, I was shocked. I mean, I did not think I was going to turn the page and get to this. I don't know. How did you two take this?
2: I cackled. I was like, good for <laughs> you, man. <laughs> get some nice food some relaxation you're clearly in some kind of dream universe or some kind of alternate world but uh for right now you should enjoy whatever it is you have going on
1: (laughs) no but it it mirrors the beginning of this issue right because this issue Gambit cooks breakfast Mm -hmm. for rogue and then here you have warren to bring her well presumably breakfast to um in bed and and that brings another connection between Baxi and one X Men, which is right. um, Warren. And that has been well, I mean that that was done pretty well by remember, in Uncanny X yeah, Force. It's X-Force. pretty
0: definitively done in Uncanny X Force to the point that I'm almost shy of touching it again. Going back to
2: it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I view yeah. this more as like a not not a dream, but something kind of ethereal. So it's more like her greatest wishes being expressed or what have you. I, I would I am assuming. So it's yeah. not its not like it's like hard continuity for me, mm. you know?
0: But to me, this well, is interesting because through our discussion, it makes me realize you, you were right, Harry, all along. Like this whole issue is about who Betsy has connections with. And the whole point is that Betsy doesn't have any one person, but Betsy's actually the center of a lot of relationships with Rogue, with her brothers, um, you know, even with Warren. And this is kind of to point that out. Like she's not somebody who can just disappear from the fabric of X-Men unnoticed. So I don't know. Now now that we've been through it all as a discussion, I kind of see it more than I did, I think, when I read it by myself. So gentlemen, final call. Is there anything from this issue which we've gone through quite thoroughly here that still merits a mention before we wrap up?
1: Yes. There's one page where Ritter was um, trying to, you know, use his power on Krakoa, And there was this focus on this strange violet flower. I mm. saw
0: that. I mm. g- yeah. jumped out at me.
1: Yeah, do you think it, it had significance I don't know because i I was thinking like it could be one of those um the you know the the the, the one that opens the um the the gate to um the no place, no place. because yeah. of the color and I went back to to compare um a, when cardinal planted it in uh power of x uh power of 10 I think issue three or issue two I can't oh or maybe even issue one. Um, Issue 1, sorry. So in issue 1. And then... um, But it doesn't look the same. Hmm. You know, but then again, it's drawn by two different, um, different artists. So, you know, it could be open to interpretation... Or it could be nothing. So, I well, I, I and don't for me, it. I've kind of forgotten about the other flowers
0: because we've been so focused on the gate
1: flowers, mm, yeah, that I yeah. like
0: I almost needed to go back and be like, Oh, that's right, there's actually several different flowers that we've yeah. mo- mostly only been focusing on the gate flowers and the medicine flowers and marauders, but yeah. there's other things happening too. Harry, anything yeah. else that we that has escaped our all seeing eye in this discussion? I
2: just like that you know, because my biggest concern leaving X's Swords was you know, you're taking a pretty big character from Excalibur, you know, off the board. You're, getting rid of apocalypse and like a lot of those early issues had friction with him as part of the book so i was just happy that i felt like the team or the book worked well without this big character that was because i was worried that it would go the other way i was just kind of pleased with that it's more that's just more like a quality thing than a plot thing but
0: Well, that brings us to the end of This Week in X. If you enjoyed being a part of this discussion with us, you should subscribe because you will hear more every week, not only about This Week in X, but other comics topics as well, because we really believe that comics are better when they are read together. Now, originally this week, there were supposed to be more issues on the slate. They got moved around due to the holiday. So we might be back next week with an unpredictable number of issues. It's kind of hard (laughs) to know for sure. It seems as though it's going to be X-Men and Wolverine, but uh, we will see what transpires. So, so mm-hmm. on behalf of myself Tyler and Harry thank you so much for joining us for another This Week in X and be well
1: bye bye bye